0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Where She Lies tells the gripping true story of an assaulted teen, Peggy Phillips, who gives birth out of wedlock in Chattanooga, Tennessee in 1962. Upon giving birth, Peggy received conflicting narratives about her infant's fate, with one doctor claiming her baby had passed and another claiming it was thriving. 33 years later, Peggy's mother reveals on her deathbed that Peggy's baby is still alive. This is a really fascinating documentary called Where She Lies that will take you down a number of different roads and different possibilities. And we're joined today by the director of Where She Lies, and that would be Zach Marion. Zach, welcome to Film School Radio.
1: Thank you so much, Mike. I'm, I'm so excited and honored to be here.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. How did you get to know uh, Peggy Phillips? What was that uh, initial sort of inquiry into, uh, into that? And then upon meeting her, did you just know you had a good documentary uh, subject?
1: You know, this isn't included in the film, but just a little bit because its um, it kind of exists in the backstory, I guess. I had been working as a writer-producer for a production company, and they had asked me to do some part-time television development as well. The company was based in Fargo, North Dakota. And so, you know, it's hard to find a lot of stories that are local, but I had had this idea about doing a series about deathbed confessions i had always been intrigued by um, crime stories uh, probably spent too many nights trying to watch 2020 over my mom's shoulder um, so i uh, i had developed it into a concept and i had pitched it with the company the company um, had had some television agents at the time and pitched it to investigation discovery the cable network they got interested and asked me to do uh six seasons worth of episodes which is 60 episodes so i spent a couple months putting together 60 episodes and out of those 60 episodes i found of deathbed confession stories the most interesting one to me was about peggy phillips and I should say that, you know, the name Peggy Phillips entered my consciousness in the form of a one page Associated Press article from 1997 that laid out the premise of the story, which is Peggy gave birth under mysterious circumstances, which was told her baby died in 1962. And then 33 years later, her mother confesses on her deathbed that the baby never died. So I included it in my series Bible and presented it to the network. It went all the way to a green light meeting and they passed on the show. Now that was all the way back, I want to say in 2009 and I moved on to other projects, uh, ended up moving out to Los Angeles to further my education, started a company with my partner, uh, who Emma Cragen, who's a cinematographer and is the cinematographer on the film. Mm-hmm. We got into a position where I wanted to, to tell a story that was my own And I had never forgot about Peggy's story. And so I decided to see if I could track down Peggy. There was no other mention of Peggy on the internet. I found an address, a mailing address for a woman named Peggy Phillips who matched the uh, age description. I used one of those kind of amateur private investigator websites, wrote her a letter. And three days later, I got a phone call. And it was Peggy. And from the very first phone call, it was clear that she had not found her daughter, that she believed she was still alive and she was still searching. And that was really the beginning of our relationship and the process of making the film.
0: So it sounds like she was kind of good to go when you presented her with the idea of documenting her story. You know, it didn't start
1: actually as a documentary. I had gotten some advice from a from a senior producer, a very experienced producer, who had said, maybe you should turn your idea about Deathbed Confessions into an anthology book. So I had I actually contacted her with the idea of, you know, maybe I'll work on some kind of book and explore different stories. And then perhaps down the line you could sell the book as a series. But the filmmaker in me prevailed. And so as soon as I heard her story, I thought, gosh, I can't just turn this into, you know, a chapter of a book. This is like an entire film, you know, she didn't So So when I present, when I first wrote her a letter, I presented it as a book. I wanted to maybe do an anthology book. Just wanted to hear it from, um, from the source about what happened to her and, and what her, what her story was. But as we got into it, there was a certain moment where I said, I'm thinking that maybe we, this is, this story is, bigger and it could be turned into a film. I, am a documentarian. Why well, do you feel about that? Um, and she was, she was okay with it. And I, and, and that all came out of trust. I mean, we, we had lots of conversations talking about her life story, getting all of the details, sorting it out, putting it in order. And I kind of crossed an invisible line with her where she trusted me with the details of her life and in turn, I felt a responsibility to unravel or solve this mystery that had been kind of hanging over her head for the majority of her lifetime.
0: And again, it comes across in the film, you're a you're kind of our guide through this film. You're you're sort of you're with her, you're in these different circumstances as she goes through this journey to figure out what happened to her baby Darlene on the morning of June 4th, 1962, which yeah, that's a, that's a long, obviously a very long time ago. Yeah. We're talking now 60 years of, of searching in some way or another. She had been, well, I'll let you describe exactly what happened is why she was there giving birth and her a little bit of her backstory as well. At, at that
1: point in time in 1962, she was 19. She, as she tells it, she had been dating a guy, a man, um, who was her boyfriend. One night, um, he had had too much to drink, and he assaulted her. You know, she, she says this in the film, that she, she had been told that you couldn't get pregnant the very first time that you have sex she did. And from the the beginning, well, she kept her pregnancy a secret for a long time until her family doctor, she went to go see him and he said, you're pregnant. And she said, I know. And he said, well, you know, either you're going to tell your parents or I'm going to tell your parents. And he ultimatumed her. And so she told her parents and they had a very negative reaction particular her father her yeah. father again she was met with another ultimatum which is move out of the house uh, or, or agree to to give this baby up for adoption or you're gonna or you can't stay here well she didn't want to do that at that point so she got kicked out of her house and she went and lived with her aunt up until the point that she gave birth and then the actual birth itself I oh I should also mention too that she she received a lot of pressure from her OBGYN, whose son we talked to in the film. And uh, he tries to, her OBGYN at the time tried to pressure to her into also giving up the child for adoption, which she did not want to do. And one of the most kind of uh, unsettling details in this whole story is that in order for her to receive health care or to receive care at the hospital at that time, excuse me, she actually had to be admitted into the hospital under her attacker's name. Yeah, that was the only way that she could receive care. So, you know, she's been she's been fighting this battle on all sides throughout the whole pregnancy. Um, and then she doesn't want to uh, receive drugs uh, when she's about to give birth, but they're forced upon her. She's unconscious for the birth, and the next thing she knows is she wakes up to kind of a revolving door of conflicting stories. Right. One doctor says your baby's died. One doctor says um, your baby's healthy. She's actually at one point shown a baby in the nursery, a totally normal infant. And then uh, as, as she moves forward, another doctor maintains that her baby actually has died and she's sent home under that belief.
0: And all of this is occurring to her when she's 19 years old. Yes, 19. I, yeah, I, I mean. wanna,
1: yeah, I, I think actually she, just to be, uh, right about the times. I think she got pregnant when she was nineteen, but when she actually gave birth, she was twenty.
0: Nonetheless, an awful lot of pressure—not only to to be giving birth, to be looking at a future where she's going to be raising a child, but also the 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 family pressure, and particularly from her father, who I think at one point in the film uh, she, he referred to her as a whore. He does. Yep. And this is, I mean, this just to kind of color in the background on all of this, this is 1962. I mean, and this is, to be blunt, this is a part of the country that is given to a very strict cultural kind of perspective on women and women's place. That point you make in the film, right? Her her mom pretty much was a housewife. Was That was always going to be what she was going to do. So this is coming out of a culture where women were basically in a particular point. They were in a particular place in this culture. So right. I think there's just a lot of things here. And the one thing that uh, Peggy Phillips in this, from this film that you have to take away is she was such a determined person. I mean, that comes across so many points in the film and so many things about her story point to that as some a, a woman absolutely unwilling to take what she's being told at face value and and willing to to look beyond that. Um, So she's a remarkable person, even though she's very kind of, her bearing is kind of low-key, she's dealing with Parkinson's by the time we catch up with her. She has this kind of mild-mannered sort of way of speaking, but nonetheless, that belies what she's really about, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's such a rarity to meet a character who, um, I mean, she's a character in the film, but in reality, a person who has has fought a, a battle, a singular battle throughout her whole life and never given up um, is really remarkable. And it's inspiring. I i mean, I was inspired by her and that's part of the reason I obviously uh, turned her story into a feature film because I've, I've just never met anyone like her. And, you know, she's, she's street smart too. She's highly intelligent. Um, and, uh, uh, so yeah, so that's kind of the place that she operates from is, is she's always been trying to figure out this, uh, mystery. She's never taken it. Like you said, anything, any information, she's always dug a little deeper. And I know, you know, that's, that's not the main message of the film, but in some ways the film becomes a parable about truth and about looking beyond what the, obvious emotional truth is and trying to get to a deeper truth um, based on facts um, uh, or based on facts and emotion. So uh, her life is, is really an inspire inspiring story.
0: Yeah. to remind our listeners we're speaking with Zach Marion. He's the director of a wonderful new documentary film called where she lies. I'm interested in how this film has impacted you as a filmmaker and as a person, because you're intertwined in this journey in what, in a way. And I, I can imagine over the course of how many years were you filming? uh,
1: This process started in the summer of 2016. So we weren't filming all that time because there is a long editorial process for this film. But um, I think the primary filming happened over the course of about a year, a year and a half. And then there were smaller pickup shoots that happened after that for little pieces and things we needed to fill out the story.
0: Right. And without giving anything away, it's, I think it's an understatement to say that this film takes a lot of twists and turns. Her story does.
1: Yes. The plot thickens, as they say.
0: Yeah. And there are some, there are a lot of characters that come in and out of this story in terms of family members maybe family members people who (laughs) were part of the initial uh story of how she got pregnant uh the record keepers the the people at the at the uh, funeral home there are just a forensic people involved all kinds of things happen in this film but you're in i wouldn't say you're in the center of the film that would be an overstatement but you're certainly, as I said earlier, you're our guide. You're there with her. Not only are you a filmmaker, but you're you're kind of a um a support, so some kind of a support for her in 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 a in a very genteel way, in a way that's very positive. But I just I'm kind of curious how did that play out for you as a as a person and also as a filmmaker?
1: Yeah, it's uh it's an interesting situation I found myself in because I have always been uh, used to being behind the camera and uh, really a non-force, a non-character. Um, certainly in my professional work, I I don't ever appear on camera or in voiceover or anything. And I entered the process thinking that it would be that way. You know, I, I think I, in my mind, I admired documentarians especially who um, – sort of fade into the background and they let the story live on its own. But as the story started to progress and, and the state that Peggy was in, in terms of what she was able to accomplish with my help, it was necessary for me to take more of an active role. And I found that Emma, my, the cinematographer and my, my uh, fiancé, started filming me. I, I started just being in front of the camera, it just happened. And, um, and so suddenly I was a character, which forced me to go back with, with uh, my editor, Rachel Pearl, and have many discussions. I mean, probably too many discussions about how, what is my role in the film, you know? And, and we're studying different films, um, other filmmakers, how do they, you know, use their presence as a, as a force, as a narrative engine. So I sort of settled on the fact that since this is such a uh, a female story and it's Peggy's story that as the lightest touch I could possibly have would probably be the best and I didn't want to I didn't want to use my presence too much for exposition so I come in to help move the story along when it's just almost too complicated to 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 understand or the actual visuals don't support what we're trying to communicate about the story Um, as an effect on me, I guess, getting back to the, to the center of your question. It's interesting because at one point there's a, there's a scene in the film where we have to track down this person who may or may not be Peggy's daughter. And that takes us to somewhat of a dangerous situation where this person, her, her her name is Suzanne. She's in the film. Yeah. She has a long history of criminal activity and she is kind of playing a little bit of a cat and mouse game with us, trying to get us to come to a certain location. My crew was not thrilled at the idea of going to this location, (laughs) Uh, but I was, I wanted to do it. I wanted to go there. And it, and, and the scene plays out with me on a wireless microphone, negotiating with Suzanne to, to, to have her be in the film. And in, this is not in the film, but in post-production, I discovered on the raw footage, the on-camera mic was on inside of the car where Emma's filming. And her and Suze Curtis, who was the sound recordist and the writer on the film are talking about me. And they're talking basically about how crazy I am and how I trust people too much. And I remember finding that little gem (laughs) because rarely do you get to hear people talk about you um, and not knowing that, that they're being truthful. Uh, and I realized that I have the same sort of both fatal flaw and positive aspect of my personality, which is, I trust people so much. I trust people too much. I think like Peggy suffered. Say, from, like,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: And I think that's what really drove the film for me. Now in my own personal life, I also have family secrets, which, um, you know, maybe I'll make a film about someday. Probably not. They're not very interesting. <laughs> but like most people, we have secrets in our family or secrets in our lives that we wonder about what the truth really was. Yeah. Right. What, what, where the truth lies, if you will, which is why the film's title is what it is. And after I um, had this experience with Peggy, I went out and I, I solved some of those mysteries for myself. And it wasn't that fun. Uh, but I tell you, it made me it made me feel a lot better about my life and it made a lot of things in my life settled. And so my hope in making the film is that people will watch Peggy go through this journey and be inspired to, to sit down and say what mistruths are at play and mistruths or questions that I have about my life are in play. And can I solve
0: them? Yeah. You know, that's really interesting way to put it. As you said, you know, we all have family mysteries and some of them whether they're myth or they're true either way they've had a profound effect on my life right assumptions made i don't know if they're true but and you build it and you start to kind of build this kind of mythology about your family's history your family life things that that in your mind explain why other things have happened in your family right whether they're true or not you're right i mean absolutely what you're saying it's it's important. It's important. And, and circling back to where she lies, it was very important for, for Peggy Phillips to find this out, whether or not the truth hurt her or liberated her or whatever the reaction was ultimately to what we find out in the film was important. And, And it's either it's good to see in the film that at least she was open to whatever that was. So I didn't give anything away, did I and that? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so.
1: It's funny because um, when people watch the film, there's a closing st- Peggy kind of gives a closing statement. It wasn't written. it was just something that she when when we were talking, she just said, I think in a way, knowing that there was a film being made about this story mm-hmm. was was what? Uh, was what drove Peggy to to be a participant in the documentary because she knew that other people could benefit from her. Yeah, yeah. So even though she suffered for for most of her life with this mystery, the fact that it um, exists for other people to watch and learn from was kind of a gift that she knew she was giving, and, and it and it gave meaning to to her her pain. It gave it gave meaning to
0: her pain. I'm so glad uh, that, uh, first of all, I'm so glad the film was made. I'm so glad that we get a chance to get to know Peggy Phillips, because she, as you said earlier, very intelligent woman, very intelligent, very thoughtful. Uh, and just as you described, I think that fills in a lot of the uh, the reasons that you're drawn to her is because she may not, at first glance, appear to be someone capable of sort of playing this out and kind of understanding all of the ramifications that just, just just as you described someone who would see this as an opportunity for people to become more aware of their circumstances and maybe it helps them in some way, but that's what she was. And that's the way you went by the time the film ends, that's really, as you said, just, I couldn't say it better. It It, it really plays out that way.
1: Yeah, if, if she if she was a different, if she was of a different mindset or or state of mind, um is a better way to say it, the film would have been different because it would have been dealing with that. And what's interesting is I feel like she's in the right state of mind throughout the the film. Um we don't ever question her state of mind. But definitely other characters come in and present a different state of mind, a different reality that you you can start to see oh wow like these people are really thinking in a in a different way and and you you start to question their perspective on things if you yeah.
0: will yeah well and in the film where she lies there are there's every reason for her to want to pursue this she got she has enough information to be able to say i have to find out and there and the avenues that she pursues are difficult for her difficult and also as a woman of virtually no means I mean she's doing all of this basically on her own guile and her ability to kind of figure things out and she went on to become a medical records um, person but she went on to be able to figure out a way in which she could begin to track down the truth and uh, yeah it's a it's a very thoughtful documentary. One of the things I li- I really love about documentaries and documentary filmmakers is uh, it's this journey that you take us on and, and we're not sure where we're going to end up. I don't know anybody who watches documentary films who thinks that they have already figured out where this is going to end up and would enjoy still watching that documentary because that's not me. I want to know about things that I don't know anything about. And, and so that's part of the appeal here. And it's a thought, as I said, it's a thoughtful documentary and it's one that um, really kind of little by little pulls you in. You, you're you invested in her story by the time we get to the end and however it plays out.
1: I'm glad to hear you enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I did. I did well. The film, again, is Where She Lies. It's going to be uh, available for the world on November 10th. And it's a VOD release.
1: It is uh it's VOD so right now it's open for pre-order on Apple TV. Okay. Um which is formerly iTunes. Uh so if you're uh if you have an iPad or a, or an iPhone there's we're in the streaming wars right now. But it's on it's on pre-order on Apple TV. November 10th it comes out on a variety of platforms, anywhere yeah. from Prime to Fandango. The you know what the best place to figure out how to or to, to figure out where to watch it is just to go to where she lies.com. Right. And there'll be direct links to all of the uh, pages where you can to order it to stream.
0: Great. Where she lies.com. Well, Zach, Marion, thank you. Thank you for the film. Thank you for some, finding some time to spend with us here on film school radio. Um, and all the best. To, uh, you, you've got, you had a great crew. You mentioned your cinematographer, Emma, uh <laughs> Su- uh, Suze Curtis as your writer, and uh, also Frank Isaac, who has quite an impressive resume as a producer. So good yeah, he was. A, I,
1: I felt very lucky to have Frank come on um, to help with the film. He really made some crucial contributions and has continued to, to uh, make crucial contributions. And I hope to keep working with him on future projects. He's, he is great.
0: Yeah, there's some great stuff on his resume, for
1: sure. I also want to give a, a quick shout out to our distributor, Gravitas Ventures, who is a huge champion of independent cinema, and they've been wonderful to work with. So I'm so pleased that they um, saw uh, the the uh, potential in the film and, and picked it up for, for distribution.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so very much for your time today. And all the best with this film and come back again when uh, when that time uh, arrives to, for a new project. So I really, I really enjoyed our conversation and I, I thank you so much for, for being here today. Zach Murray. I,
1: I definitely will. It's a pleasure. Thanks, Mike.
0: You've been listening to film school radio, the on air online showcase for the best and in independent documentary and foreign films.